0: Bibles this morning and open up to first corinthians 12 we're going back to the same chapter we were in last week I want to continue in this matter of spiritual gifts and we're going to talk more specifically as i've been uh, telling you for the past couple of weeks about uh, some of the individual gifts we'll get there in just a moment and we'll read our text here uh, in just a moment as well many of you of course are familiar with uh, uh, some say the most historical event that happened since the discovery of America, and that was in 1969, July, when America landed on the moon. Apollo 11, three men went to the moon, two men actually walked on the surface of the moon, and uh, many of you remember what you were doing. You probably, I was, a, I guess I was a, a young uh, a boy at that time, and I, I do remember our family gathering around uh Uh, A television set that we had. My dad called us in and said, everybody's got to see this, and we gathered around, and we watched as Neil Armstrong stepped off the lunar module and touched down on the surface of the moon and uttered those famous words, that's one small step for a man and one giant leap for mankind. You remember where you were. How many of you remember that and remember watching that? And we were just in awe of what happened. These three men uh, at the moon, and two of them literally on the moon. When they returned from their epic voyage, Michael Collins, who had been the, the head of the command module, which orbited the moon while the two men were down on the earth, in a press conference, he said, all this is possible only through the blood, sweat, and tears of thousands of people. He said, all you see are the three of us, but underneath the surface are thousands and thousands of other people. In fact, according to author Catherine Thamish. There were over 400,000 other people who helped with the Apollo 11 mission. And in her bu- book, Team Mission*, I mean, Team Moon, Thamesh writes and says, uh, there are lots and lots of hero- uh, heroes in the story. Spacesuits, seamstresses, radio telescope uh, operators, parachute designers, and others who all made it possible to get men to the moon and then get them back home. And let the rest of the world watch it while it all happened. She writes about those at Kennedy Space Center, some 17,000 engineers, mechanics, soldiers, and contractors, and other workers set up the enormous missile for its launch. And then there were the two Bobs in Houston that monitored just how much fuel was left in the lunar module during its descent to the lunar surface. Team Moon also included a 24-year-old computer whiz kid named Jack Garman who helped work through some worrisome computer glitches during the Eagles uh, approaching uh, landing. The computer code that ran all the systems was developed by a team of software engineers at MIT, led by a lady named Margaret Hamilton. Roughly 500 people worked on the space suit alone, including one seamstress who commented, we didn't worry too much until the guys on the moon started jumping up and down in their suits. And that gave us a little bit of an eyebrow twitch. And it's no wonder that Neil Armstrong, the first man on the moon, would later say that as he took his first step on the moon, he immediately thought about all those 400,000 people who had given him the opportunity to make his first step you see we saw three people but there were far more people who made it happen people we don't know their names never will know their names history doesn't even really know their names but it couldn't have occurred without them well that's a perfect description of what the Bible says the church is like it is a body full of uh, multiplied uh, uh, gifts and people and individuals all working together some out front some that you see But most behind the scenes, and all of them are essential to the working of the church and the kingdom of God. If you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me as we read, continuing in this chapter, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. We're going to pick up in verse 12, but I want you to keep your Bibles open this morning because I'm going to refer back to the verses that we read last week. In verse 12, Paul writes and says, For just as the body is one... Yet, one body. Father, thank you for this variety of gifts that you have entrusted to us to perform your work. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to understand them, to understand them more than just on the surface, but deeply, Father, internally in our soul, so that we might use them for your glory and for our fulfillment, Father. We know that you've entrusted them to us and that we are accountable for them. Help us to be stewards of the gifts. The spiritual gifts, our natural abilities too, but in particular, our spiritual gifts that one day we will present back to you, uh, Father, for having entrusted them to us. Speak to our hearts today, Father. Uh, Speak and teach us. Speak and inform us, God. Speak and transform us. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now... A lot of people with many different gifts are all a part of the body. That's what we've been talking about for the past two weeks, that if you are born again, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, not only do you have natural talents and abilities, you have supernatural talents. Those are given to you upon your reception of Jesus Christ as your Savior. And those are very important, your natural abilities and gifts. I'm not undermining them. They're very important. They are trust from God as well. I believe we'll be accountable for our natural abilities and talents too. But these are supernatural endowments, and they are specifically given to us for the betterment of the kingdom of God, working through the church of God. And if you are uh, not doing your part in, uh, as it relates to your gift, guess what? The body of Christ can't be fully healthy uh, as it uh, should be. Now, with that said, I want to show you three more truths uh, this morning to inform you a little bit more about your gifts and their value. And the first thing I want to start with this morning is I want to give you the definition of the gifts. Now, Paul speaks of them in verses 7-7. Uh, through 10 he talks about the specific gifts I've told you that there are essentially three passages in the New Testament there is Romans chapter 12 there's Ephesians chapter 4 and there's 1 Corinthians 12 and he really talks about the gifts for chapter 12 13 and 14 he talks about their use deployment and gives us some understanding of the specific kinds of gifts This is the most extensive list of all of the gifts we find here. And in verse uh, uh, 7, he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So God has given these gifts to us. Now, all combined, if you take all the lists and you put them together and you pull out the differences in each list, then uh, there's somewhere between 20 and 22 spiritual gifts. And you say, how could you not know specifically? Because... Scholars differ on whether some gifts are overlapping gifts, okay? And so depending on who you talk to, there are between 20 and 22 spiritual gifts. And what I want to do for a few minutes is to give you some brief insight to what we call the motivational gifts. Now, last week I told you there are two categories of gifts. There are motivational gifts and there are manifestation gifts, And uh, I'll explain that again a little bit as we go along. But I want to show you the motivational gifts in particular. Now, time will not permit me to delve deeply into each one of these. That perhaps is for another day, and we've done some of those things. But maybe it will help you get a glimpse of the characteristics of the gifts, and perhaps it will help you understand which of the spiritual gifts that you possess uh, these that I'm talking about are not the natural talents, okay? I want to make that clear. These are, these are supernatural gifts of the Spirit of God. These you can only have if you have given your life to Christ and then he has entrusted a gift back to you. So let me just start and share some of these uh, with you. Paul speaks of prophecy, the gift of prophecy. And let me just give you a brief definition. Now, listen. You're not going to be able to write all this down fast enough, okay? So, uh, so you can write what you want, write all you want as far as I'm concerned. But you may want to go back and watch the message on uh, our website or something on demand where you can stop me long enough to get further information. And so I know a lot of you would like to stop, stop me right now, but, uh, but you can't live. But you can if you go back and watch it. But, so the gift of prophecy... Uh, It is verbally proclaiming biblical truths that God has brought to a mind and proclaiming them with boldness and confidence so that it will cause other people to repent. Now, that's the gift of prophecy. Now, let me just, on a couple of these, I'm going to stop. Okay, most of these, I'm just going to give you a definition and move on. But let me just say something about this gift before I move on. Prophecy is the ability to speak for God. It's not merely foretelling, as we often confuse it and say, prophecy is just, you know, someone who speaks about what is to come. Some of that is a part of the gift of prophecy, but very little is that. Uh, It is usually what is magnified, but very little is that. It is simply truth-telling. It is speaking the Word of God. Now, some have the gift of prophecy. You don't have to be a preacher or an evangelist, or that sort of thing, or a Bible teacher to have the gift of prophecy. Some people have the gift of prophecy. As a matter of fact, in chapter 14, Paul says that this is a gift that is greatly to be desired within the church. It serves a great function in the church. But there's a lot of misinformation about the gift of prophecy out there. Some people say, well, my gift is prophecy. And they think that means they are anointed by God to offend people or to tell people off. Uh, They'll just simply say, well, I have the gift of prophecy. It just, that's the way it is. No, no, that's not what the gift of prophecy is. Uh, As a matter of fact, quite the contrary. If you read 1 Corinthians 14, chapter 14, Paul talks about the proper use and deployment of the gifts. In verse 3 of that chapter, Paul says this, he that prophesies speaks to people, listen to this, for their upbuilding and encouragement and for their consolation. Now, that's not telling folks off. That's not trying to put people in their place. Not at all. It is instead using the gift to strengthen and to motivate people for the kingdom of God with God's words. That makes sense? That's what prophecy is. Now, all right, let me go to the the next uh, 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 motivational gift, teaching the gift of teaching. It's defined as the ability to explain biblical principles so that others may apply them to their lives. And uh, uh, so a teacher is different than a preacher, though some have the gift. Uh, some, this is where there's some overlap. Some scholars say preaching, teaching is a similar gift, uh, but uh, teachers tend to ha- ha- teach in great detail. Uh, if you want to, for example, if you've got a, people say, well, I can't teach Sunday school. I don't have the gift of teaching. That's nonsense. Uh, you're going to teach your dominant gift is going to come out as you teach. So if you've got the gift of mercy, you can still be a a Bible study teacher, but mercy is going to come through in your teaching. But if you have the gift of teaching, here's what's going to happen. When you teach, you're going to give more detail than any human on the planet wants. All right, a teacher will have so much detail. All right, that's kind of the way you can pick up on that. All right, then there's the gift of helps, and that is the ability to perceive the needs of other people and act with compassion toward that need and to do it with a joyful heart. To meet those needs, there's great fulfillment, even if it requires personal sacrifice. Now, there were some people, 27-plus of our people who served Thanksgiving dinners to the homeless. Uh, 545 people were fed, thanks to your generosity, complete meals that you provided. Thank you for doing that. And there were 27 of our people who, who went and served, uh, helped serve those meals, along with others in our community who helped serve them. I bet you a number of those people that went and served those meals had the gift of help. They got great joy out of helping someone in need. And it is that kind of expression that by helping someone else, you find great fulfillment. And that is an expression of the gift of helps. Then there's the gift of administration. And the gift of administration is the ability to utilize people and resources and time to effectively and efficiently accomplish the purposes of God. In other words, they're great at organizing and strategizing to accomplish the purpose or the mission of God. That's administration. And then there is wisdom. The gift of wisdom is defined as the ability to offer wise and knowledgeable counsel Uh, based on biblical truth in any variety of situations. Uh, You know, you don't have to be a brainiac to be wise. I've met a lot of intelligent people who had no wisdom. Have you? Wisdom, this is a spiritual thing. God gives wisdom. And by the way, you say, well, I don't have the gift of wisdom. I must be a half-wit. No, not at all. The Bible says that we can also ask God for wisdom. A person that has the gift of wisdom, uh, listen, they automatically, they just kind of glean the wisdom of God. But you and I, in most cases, are going to say, God, I lack wisdom. And the Bible says he gives it to us. And so so we can have wisdom, but there are some who have the gift of wisdom. And then there's the gift of knowledge. And that is um, a gift that is... um, a deep kind of sensitive learning from the lessons of life and the ability to articulate what they have learned to others. Knowledge. They're able to take uh, the the lessons that they've learned, the teaching that they have uh, uh, brought in, and they're able to articulate it in a manner uh, that provides information and knowledge that's helpful to other people. Then there's the gift of faith. Now, all of us are to be people of faith, okay? So don't misunderstand. You say, if I don't have the gift of faith, I, I guess that, where does that lead me? No, all of us are to be people of faith. But there are some who are able to exercise uh, faith in an unusual kind of way. And it is because God has gifted them to have confidence and assurance uh, uh, totally in Him. And, um, that he will accomplish what he wants to accomplish, the way he wants to accomplish, and with the best uh, uh, methods in spite of the circumstances. So it's this incredible confidence in God, and it's not rocked by circumstances, the gift of faith. One of my favorite illustrations, I think I've told you this story uh, 15 times uh, in the, uh, over the years, but it is, there's no perfect, better uh, illustration than this one. It's absolutely perfect. It's about George Mueller. And it uh, comes from his biography, and as I've told you a lot of times, you'll be blessed if you read a biography by George, about George Mueller. There are many good ones out there. But this one particular incident I love, George Mueller was on a ship. He was headed to Newfoundland. He was to speak in Newfoundland, and uh, while the ship is traveling, suddenly it comes to a complete stop. And uh, uh, it, it, Mueller waits and nothing happens. The, the ship doesn't uh, continue the journey. Finally, he goes to the captain. He says, captain, is there a problem? Uh, he said, I, I noticed the ship has stopped. And the captain says, it has stopped because of the fog. And he says, we cannot continue. The fog is too heavy. We can't continue until the fog lifts. Mueller says, you don't understand, captain. I'm supposed to be in Newfoundland tomorrow because I have a speaking engagement and I've never missed a speaking engagement. God has always got me to the appointed destination and it is God's will that I speak tomorrow in Newfoundland. And the captain says, I'm sorry, I'm not moving this ship until the fog lifts. And so Mueller says, well, then let's go pray and ask God to lift the fog. And the captain is telling this story, not Mueller. The captain tells the story and the captain says, so I kind of timidly went with him To pray for the fog to lift and he got down on his knees and Mueller began to pray and it wasn't a complicated prayer He just said Lord lift the fog so I can make my appointment tomorrow and uh, He prayed for just a second and then he paused and the captain was about to pray and Mueller said no There's no point in you even pray And the captain was stunned. Remember, the captain is telling this story years later. And he says, well, why not? Why shouldn't I pray? And Mueller responded to him. He said, there are two reasons. Number one, you don't believe he's going to do it. And number two, he's already done it. And they got up off their knees, the captain telling this story, he and Mueller got up off their knees and looked out the window, and the fog was completely gone. Now, that's an example of someone who has a gift of faith. Now, faith is practiced, and faith comes, and comes by hearing the Word of God, and it is cultivated. All of the spiritual gifts are cultivated by use. You can have the spiritual gift, but if you don't use it, it won't, it won't manifest, and it won't uh, uh, cultivate itself in your life. All right, so that's, not everybody has the gift of faith, but those who do, their circumstances don't rock them uh, whatsoever. Uh, then there's the gift of discernment. And that's the ability to determine whether spiritual influence originated from the Holy Spirit or is a counterfeit. The ability to know if, a, if the source of something is really from God or if it is a counterfeit, if it is a fake. That's discernment. Then there's the gift of the evangelist. We sometimes say evangelism, but in the Greek it's actually the evangelist. And that is the ability to, to Direct conversations and dis- discussions in such a manner that it reveals a clear picture of the gospel and, uh, uh, and is easy for the person hearing to understand the message of the gospel. Not everybody has the gift of evangelist. Let me tell you, uh, let me give you an example. I don't have the gift of the evangelist. And by the way, not everybody that is an evangelist has the gift of the evangelist, okay? You need to know that. Because they're an evangelist doesn't mean they have the gift of the evangelist. Before I became your pastor, I headed up a division for our North American Mission Board. That is the agency within our Southern Baptist Convention uh, that is the counterpart of our International Mission Board. So we have our International Mission Board, then we have our North American Mission Board that uh, uh, provides uh, has a mission to reach the North American continent with the gospel. And uh, I headed up a division called Personal Evangelism. I oversaw Personal Evangelism for our uh, entire denomination, actually. And uh, because of that, uh, each year there would be uh, state conventions. Our staff knows about these things. They would have states have their annual evangelism conferences. Because I headed up personal evangelism, I frequently was asked to come and speak at those evangelism conferences where they'd bring in pastors from their various states and that sort of thing. And on one occasion, I was uh, preaching in New Mexico at the state evangelism conference, and I said, now I want to surprise you with something today. I want to tell you, pastors, something, because there are many of you who say, I don't have the gift of the evangelist. I said, I oversee personal evangelism for the Southern Baptist Convention, and I want to tell you something, I don't have the gift of the evangelist. That, that's not my gift. But I said, now I've been sharing my faith since I was 14 years old. I've been telling people about Jesus and helping them into the kingdom since I was 14 years old, but I don't have the gift of the evangelist. And I said, but here's the truth I don't have to have the gift of the evangelist to do evangelism. And here's why because I have the commission of evangelism. So Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. See, That's the great commission, we say. So I don't have to have the gift to be obedient. I just need to obey. Now, if you have the gift of the evangelist or the gift of evangelism, if you want, guess what? It just comes natural. It just flows out of you. We've got people in this congregation that have that. I have a couple of people that I know of in this congregation that have the gift of the evangelist. I've seen one of them lead a stop sign to Christ. I mean, they're just that, that's way it just comes out with them. And people receive it, too. I had a man on my staff in Florida. He had the gift of the evangelist. And he could, he could start sharing the gospel with someone, and in just a few minutes, they would be so ready to receive Christ. And I could have taken the gospel and shared it with that same person, and in, in the same amount of time, they'd have been ready to punch my lights out. I mean, he, that's just the difference, okay? So evangelism. Then there's the gift of pastor or pastor-shepherd or pastor-shepherd-teacher, depending, again, on which uh, particular Bible uh, scholar you want to uh, refer to. And that is uh, the ability to encourage and to empower others uh, to fully to, to submit to the work of the Spirit in their lives. Uh, and to continue learning and growing and maturing in the faith, all right? Pastor, teacher, nurturing and helping move a person along from one place to another place. It's a, a kind of leading process, all right? There's a the gift of service, and that is the ability to cheerfully sacrifice time and make a personal investment that honors the needs and desires and goals of other people. Service, they, people enjoy serving others. This is not the same as helps, though some say it could be an overlap. This is service. I I serve for the glory of God. I serve cheerfully. Uh, I'll give of my time, and I'll uh, uh, do what I need to do uh, for God's glory. Then there is the gift of exhortation, encouragement, um, and that is the ability to challenge others to see their potential in Christ, and uh, it empowers them to attain um, the, the measure of Christ uh, by supporting and encouraging that person. So some people are able, you know, there are some people, uh, uh, practically, let me just, uh, there are some other brothers and sisters that when you're around them, you just feel better when you leave and you can't even explain why. You just felt better around. They have the gift of encouragement. They have the gift of exhortation. My mentor, I believe, Uh, has that very powerfully and uh, and just being around him you left encouraged and I think that is true for uh, many people and you probably know some of those people in your life that are believers and and you're inspired by their relationship with Christ but also uh, you just feel better about God and about your own pursuit of God having been around them there's the gift then next of giving And that is um, to give cheerfully and sacrificially to meet the needs of others and the work of the kingdom uh, of God and to make any kind of adjustments necessary in order to continue to be a channel of generosity. And there are some people that that naturally comes. Now, most Baptists will say, I don't have that one. But the fact is there are a lot who do. And uh, I've told you this before, that God, uh, God loves a cheerful giver, doesn't he? But he'll take it from a grouch, too. I mean, that's about being obedient. But uh, the, the person has the gift of giving, it just flows from them. And I want to tell you what's interesting when you watch that process. When they give, God just gives ads and ads and ads, and they have more and more, and they keep giving and they keep giving, and God keeps resupplying so they can give more. And so, it, it's, and, and they have fun doing it. It's not like, I, okay, I'm going to give God this, and this is a sacrificial gift. It's a generous gift, but man, I'm nervous about it. They enjoy uh, giving. And then there's leadership, the gift of leadership. It's the ability to cast a vision and effectively communicate that vision and then pull all the pieces and parts together in order to accomplish the objectives of that vision. Let me move on quickly. There's mercy it's the ability to empathize with pain and struggle and suffering of others while bringing comfort and kindness and patience and love. My wife has the gift of mercy, and, uh, and that's good because I don't. And uh, there's compliment, uh, complimenting, uh, they complement each other. But mercy has the capacity to empathize with pain and suffering by the way, I just uh, tongue-in-cheek said, I don't have it, but that doesn't mean I'm exempt from showing mercy. Hello? Now, be careful with all the gifts. Don't give yourself a pass on something that isn't your gift so you can say, well, I I don't have that gift. If you don't have the gift of mercy, it doesn't mean you're never to express mercy. Hello? That is uh, an act of the Spirit of God operating in you. It just won't come natural to you. Does that make sense? All right. Then there's the gift of hospitality. Hospitality is the ability to interact with others and immediately make a person uh, a personal connection so that that person feels comfortable and welcome. Hospitality. And there's some people that have that gift. uh, And uh, they can make those personal connections and people feel relaxed and comfortable because of the way that gift has been expressed toward them. All right, now that's a quick overview of what we would call the motivational gifts. And if you're a believer, you have at least one of those, maybe more, but you have at least one of those, okay? And uh, down the road, if you want to take a gift survey, you can contact my office and we can recommend some uh, spiritual gift inventories that you can take. But, but the key is learning what gift you have and how to maximize the use of that gift. That's motivational gifts. Now, there are, as I said, manifestation gifts, and let me just quickly mention a couple of things, and the last two points are going to go real fast, but let me just mention a couple of things to you as it relates to manifestation gifts. What are they? They're gifts that Paul speaks about, like healing and tongues and miracles. The interpretation of tongues, uh, and these these gifts are different in the sense that they are given in specific moments, and for specific occasions. But they're not routinely expressed. Does that make sense? So they're given in a specific setting, a specific occasion or moment. And uh, they glorify God in their proper expression, but they're not the routine expressions like the motivational gifts, which should be expressed in your walk and your growing relationship with Christ. Notice uh, verses 9 and 10 in this same chapter. He says, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And see, he, he speaks about the manifestation gifts. He mixes them in and people often ask me, for example, uh, he, he refers to healing. People ask you, Rady, you believe that God still heals miraculously and supernaturally? And my answer is absolutely. I, I, I believe that. And I think he heals sometimes miraculously through doctors and through medicine. And I think he sometimes heals instantly. And I think he sometimes uh, he heals over time as well. I think all of healing is a gift from God. And sometimes I think it is miraculous. It's on the spot. It's instantaneous. I think sometimes it's a result of prayer. I have some occasions in my ministry, prayed for people and, uh, and, and received report back that the doctors were astounded. It wasn't because of me. It was the work of God. And By the way, no expression of these kinds of gifts should ever point back to anything but to the glory of God. Uh, So I believe that God heals. I believe he heals in a variety of ways. Now, I don't know of anyone that has the gift of healing today. That doesn't mean that no one does. It just means I don't know anyone, all right? Now, there are plenty of people claiming to have the gift of healing on stage and in arenas. But I will tell you what ought to happen to substantiate that. Instead of standing on a platform and having people file by, I want one of these healers to go down to a children's hospital and walk through there touching the little ones and healing them. And listen, why not? Then their platform and their claim would have authority. I mean, why not do that, right? But we never see that. Listen, I do believe in healing, my friend, but God help those who fake the faith for their own gain. He also mentions miracles. Paul mentions miracles here, and I I believe in miracles. Uh, The gift of miracles, the manifestation of miracles, which the apostles certainly had. Jesus told them as he sent them out that they would be able to do miraculous deeds and events. I believe that. I don't know of anyone, I don't know of anyone, that doesn't mean they don't exist, I just don't know of anyone that has the gift of miracles, but I do believe in the gift of miracles. Uh, It doesn't mean they're not out there, it just means I hadn't seen that person. I have experienced miracles in my life. I bet if we went through this room, you could say you've experienced a, a miracle of God. But to say a person has it, I don't know a person that has the gift of miracles, though I do believe in the gift of miracles. Does that make sense? Listen, the Bible says that John the Baptist, John the Baptist, was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. But listen to this: a verse that no one ever quotes, John 10, 41, says that John did no miracles filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, but he did know miracles. That's not an indictment on those who have or the disciples who would or others that have the gift of miracles. It just means this. You can be completely full of the Spirit of God and not express any or all of these manifestation gifts. Hello? And that's why we must be careful not to use them as a litmus test for what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. John was filled with the Holy Spirit from, from his mother's womb, and yet he did no miracles. The Greek word there is simeon. It means an attesting sign, a miraculous sign. He did none of those. We have to, be, uh, we have to understand that, that <clears throat> being filled with the Spirit doesn't necessitate that you will manifest one of these, uh, these more Uh, expressive kinds of gifts. It's okay to desire various gifts. Paul even talks about that in these chapters, but it is not okay to measure a person's walk with God on the basis of expressing these more dramatic gifts. But I got to move on because I want to finish up here uh, in the next hour. The second thing I want you to see is the distribution of gifts. And we've talked about this. I won't spend a great amount of time here. We've talked about this in previous messages, so go get those. But verse 11, I point you back to from our text last week, says, Who apportions to each one or um, who, uh, uh, to each one individually as he wills. It's a very important statement by Paul, and that's why I keep referring to it. In fact, I've referred to this in the last three messages now. It is a very important a declaration. That the gift that you have has been sovereignly bestowed upon you by God. You see, God has organized the church the way he wants it organized. It's his church. It's his bride. He's coming back for it one day. He's organized it the way he wants. And if you notice, look at verse 18. It says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one each one of them as he chose. God is solely responsible for the gifts that you have and your responsibility in his body. That's why it's crazy, as I've said for the past couple of messages, to try and be something or someone that you've not been created or gifted to be. God is sovereign, Lance. God is sovereign. And, that's a, and, and that means that he does as he wills, and he does not have to explain himself to us. Yeah, that's what sovereignty means. God can act outside of our intellectual capacity to understand that. So God can act in such a way you say, well, that just doesn't make sense. Well, God doesn't say, well, let me see if I can explain it to you. He may, but he's not obligated. He is sovereign. And there are some things high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As Deuteronomy says, the secret things belonging to God. That's all about sovereignty. There are many things I would like to say to you right now. He said to his disciples, but he said, you couldn't handle them. You wouldn't understand them. That's sovereignty. And that means he does uh, as he wills and he does it well. And he doesn't have to explain himself. Your gifts are not up for debate. God, why did you give me this way? God, I don't get it. God, you should have given me a different gift. They're not up for debate. They are up for deployment. It's okay for Christians to desire the manifestation of the Spirit, but the Spirit alone decides whom the gifts are given. And for this reason, no one should feel superior to someone else because they possess a particular manifestation gift. They shouldn't feel superior. It has been sovereignly distributed by God and not because of a person's worthiness. God doesn't say, well, you're more worthy than this person, so I give you this gift and I give them that gift. It doesn't work that way. There's an ad campaign for Google's Android that I heard about, and so I tracked it down and watched it. It's a young musician playing Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata uh, in third movement and his hands are flying all over the keys, and while he's playing it, there is a caption that comes up on the screen that says, a piano has 88 keys. And then it vanishes, and then another caption follows it says, and each one is different. And after a few moments, we see a third declaration appear on the screen that says, but what if they were all the same? Meaning, what if the keys were all the same? And with that, there's another grand piano. This guy's sitting between two of them. He's playing this thing, and when that flashes up, but what if they were all the same? He swings around and begins to play the other piano, except this time, all the keys had been uh, engineered to play the same note, middle C. And he's playing Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata on that on that, that other piano but all the keys are the same and then he alternates and he goes back and plays it on the one where the keys are different and back and forth and well you get the message I think and finally the last message comes up and says be together not the same. That's the message of the New Testament. It's the message that Paul has given us here is that you and I are are not the same, but we are to be together. We are are, are to be uh, uh, unified in our diversity. The body of Christ becomes monotone when we do not play our note. You have a specific place. You are a key in the body of Christ. Don't try to be anything or anyone else. Yield yourself Completely to his control and find your usefulness and fullness in being that part that God has created you. And so we have the description of the gifts and we have the distribution of the gifts. And here's what I close with. We have the destination of the gifts. I refer you back to verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Your design and, your, and the destination of your gift are, are tied to one thing, the body of Christ. They're tied to the church. And that's why the expression of your gift is in the context, listen to this, it is in the context of the church. It is in the context of the body of Christ. Why did God design you the way you are? Well, there are a couple of reasons. There's a complementary reason, and that's because who you are is not about you. Who you are is about all of us in the body of Christ. That's why the destination of your gifts are to be deployed for the body of Christ. Your gifts are given to you to use as a complement to the rest of the body of Christ. Your gifts help me and my gifts help you. And together the church of God is edified. Christ himself is glorified and the kingdom of God is magnified. We really do need each other. God has designed it that way. I want to tell you, one of the hardest things for me right now in this COVID is how much we need the body acting like the body, maybe more than ever before. And we're so, uh, we're so dispersed. And we're, we're all over, but we're not together. We may, be, we may be in heart, but that's why the body gathers I'm not trying to make anybody feel like, oh, well, you need to be here. My point is the body gathers. The body is not healthy if the body is not gathered and all the parts are not working together. Does that make sense? And I have to tell you as a pastor, it's a hard, it's a hard thing because I know it's a season. I pray it's a season. Uh, but I also know this. I've heard from people that say, I've, I've gotten so comfortable just staying home that really it has nothing to do with COVID. I'm just comfortable staying home. Well, that means that, that, that's a dangerous place for the church when we get comfortable outside the gathering of the church. Right now, it's a serious time. I understand that. Don't send cards and notes and letters saying, you don't understand me. I, I, listen, I understand more than you know. I'm dealing with it every day with people that have sickness, all of those things. And remember, I've had it too. I've already had COVID. So I understand all of that. And so I'm not trying to guilt people into church. Or God forbid, I don't want to do that. I'm not saying there aren't people have vulnerabilities that should keep them out of church. And, and for goodness sake, if you have symptoms, stay home. But do you understand my point? My point is the body can't function the way it's supposed to function when the parts are not together. And uh, that's why we pray that God will reunite us and continue to bring us uh, back together, because we need each other. You know, there's a lot of junk being said about the joining the church today. It has nothing to do with COVID. I've had people tell me, I don't have to, to go to church to follow Jesus. Well, okay. Then why were there so many local congregations in the New Testament? Or some might say, and, and I have had people say this to me, well, I just go where the Spirit leads me. Doesn't that sound super spiritual? But here's the problem with that. If you do not connect with a local body, then you can't add your spiritual gifts for the welfare of that local body to do the mission of God. We're clearly taught to do this. It is the premise of these entire chapters that we've been looking at. I want to tell you something. I believe now more than ever before the church cannot be the church without the commitment from the body parts. As the parts go, so goes the body. You see, for the body of Christ to be healthy, we're designed to complement each other. We do that with our gifts. And then there's a second uh, a reason that uh, I would share with you, and that is a constructive reason, not just a complementary reason. You were designed the way you are for a con- uh, constructive reason. The task of the church is emotion the, the task of the church is the most important task in the universe. Con- connecting humanity to God is the most significant thing uh, we can do. And by the way, you you better believe hell thinks it's the most important task in the universe. And that's why you're seeing crazy things happening around this country where they're telling liquor stores you can remain open and bicycle shops you can operate, but churches you can only have 10 people. You think hell doesn't know the mission of the church and hasn't unleashed and used anything, hell, can, hell will use anything it can to stop the mission, try to stop the mission of the church. This is the most important task in the universe, what we've been given So we have to pull all of our gifts together. We have to work together to build up the kingdom of God. We are construction workers for the glory of God. And as his body, we are his hands extended. We are his feet to go forth, and we are his heart being expressed. If the body of Christ is going to fulfill the task that it has been given to reach, to build, and connect, then it is imperative that each of us fill the body according to our gifts and our designs. The task is great. The time is short. The mission is clear. And if we're going to build a future for the kingdom of God, we must be all in. We must give all and we, we, we must live all for the glory of God and for the purpose that he created us. Friend, you are gifted. All of us that know Christ, we are gifted And our gifts are not just useful to the church. God's word says they are essential to the church. The three smallest bones in the human body are in the the middle ear. They're the malus, the incus, and the stapes, and more commonly known as the hammer and the anvil and the stirrup. The hammer is so arranged in your ear that one end is attached to the eardrum. The other end forms a lever-like kind of hinge with the anvil. At the opposite end, the anvil is fused with the stirrup. So the anvil and the stirrup act as one bone, but they're really two different bones. And though the middle ear oscillates work in obscurity, you don't see them, you don't know about it, it's happening right now in this room. These three tiny bones, the smallest bones in your body are working, you don't even know it, but did you know they are absolutely essential to your ability to hear? In fact, without them, listen to this, only one-tenth of one percent of the sound that goes out will actually hit your eardrum and be transferred to the inner ear. But because God has so arranged these tiny parts in a way that maximizes their leverage, they produce a sonic effect that's far greater than their tiny size. Well, just like that, Just as the human body has no insignificant parts, those tiny parts think you couldn't listen to this message if they weren't functioning. The body of Christ, likewise, has no small unimportant members. All of us have a place of influence It may be large, it may be small, it may be visible, it may be invisible, but we all have a vital role to play in God's plan for redeeming and restoring a lost world. We may be as well hidden as a bone in the inner ear or an internal organ or a foot inside a shoe, but every one of us, every one of us is absolutely essential to the eternal purpose of God. And God has designed it so, so that the church can't do the mission without all the members of the body involved. Can I ask you this morning, are you in your role? Are you functioning in your role, whatever that may be, related to the spiritual gifts that you have? Listen, it may not seem important now, but one day it will become the most important thing in your life. Because one day, all of us will answer to God for how we used or how we didn't use the gifts that he entrusted to us. Pray with me. Now, Lord, help us to be faithful stewards of the gifts that you've given to us so that we can do the work of the kingdom of God. And God, I pray that that we'll do it effectively, and we won't limp, Father, like an injured body, like an unhealthy body. But that we'll do it with great effectiveness as we find our places. Now there are people here today, Father, that don't know you. There are people watching on live stream and television that don't know you. They haven't received a spiritual gift. And the first gift they need is the gift of salvation. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're, if that's you and in this place or Live stream wherever it may be, I want you to call out to the Lord right now from your heart. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the scripture says, will be saved. And would you call out and say something like this, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. I know that I am a sinner. And I know it is by your grace and mercy that I am saved. And I receive the salvation that you brought forth on the cross for my sins. Come into my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Transform me. Be my Lord and Savior and Master. and Fill me up, Father, and gift me for the kingdom and for eternity, Lord. Father, thank you for loving me and hearing my prayer. There are others in this place you say, Lord, I, I know of I a gift. I'm not sure what it was. Help me find that gift, Lord. Help me discover what that gift is and show me how I can most use it to bring pleasure to you, glory to you, And to bring that fulfillment that my life is missing as a Christian. So speak to me, I pray. Show me the way. Let me walk in it. Father, for all of these who have prayed, whichever prayer they've prayed, Father, I pray that you will hear it as you've promised to do. And that you'll begin that fresh work in their life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look at me, if you will, before we're gone. If you prayed that prayer first of all to trust Christ as your savior, would you let us know about that whether you're on live stream, television or in this live audience. There are a couple of ways you can do that. By live stream or in this live audience, you can text the word pastor, P A S T O R to 334-384-8080 to be on the screen in front of you and just text the word pastor. We'll know what to do with that. That means I prayed that prayer to trust Christ as my savior today. I want Jesus to be my savior. You may be here this morning and you say, you know what, I'd like to join this church. You are watching by live stream. And I know for many, there's a day coming when you'll be regathering with the family of God. We all look forward to that, and many people have said, I'm, that day's coming. I'm going to be back. I'll be in that place, but I need a church, and I want to join Ridgecrest. You can do that by texting the word JOIN to us, three three four three eight four eight zero eight zero. 384 8080 You can do that here as well. If you're not a member here today and you say, I want to be a member of Ridgecrest, I am a believer And I'd like to join this congregation. You can text that from the live audience. Or you have the opportunity to take a tear-off panel in the back of your worship folder and you can check off what your decision is. Maybe you need to be baptized. Whatever it may be, just check it off. Take it, fold it, drop it in the offering baskets as you leave the building uh, today. In either case, whether you're live stream or live in this audience, we'd love to have you connect with this family because we want your gifts to complement the gifts of the rest of the body as we continue to go forward to do the work of God.